but then they usually fail to just take that first step and take that action because of the fear. And I think that's what holding a lot of people back. And I would just say that, listen, <laughs> you're going to make mistakes and it's not going to be rainbows and unicorns. So I think that's what holds them back is that fear of failure. But I think once you realize that it's going to happen regardless of whether you worry about it or not, the best is just, just to then to learn from it. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast-track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's going on, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we are back for another installment of the BTM podcast. This is episode 12, everybody, and... I want to I want to just thank you for being here. If you are a new listener, welcome. Sit back and have fun. Enjoy the show. If you are a returning listener, thank you for being a loyal listener. And I'm sure that new and returning listeners alike will get a lot of value from this show. On this episode, we are actually interviewing MC Lobsher. MC is a wealth strategist and educator. And we'll get into his story. His story is fascinating. He came all the way from South Africa. His mission is to help as many people as he can eliminate the control of banks and financial institutions in their lives. And he does this by reclaiming the banking function, or he has us reclaim the banking function in our own financial life. And he does that through efficient cash flow management systems and creating and building assets that provide multiple streams of income. So we'll talk about a lot of a lot of financial I'll talk about a lot of financial myths on this show and we'll also talk about how to rinse and reuse your money over and over again because the wealthy rinse and reuse their money at least 5 to 6 times and I think that's very important but really quick you know one thing I want to I want to touch on is this past week I met with a group of guys uh, there were probably 10 guys in in this conference room and you know, you can call it a mastermind or you can call it, you know, uh, getting together of, uh, of the minds, but I was probably the youngest person there and I was probably the least successful person there. Most of these guys have million dollar businesses and are uber successful. And just being in that room, knowing that I'm, I'm the, I guess I'm not <laughs> just being in that room, knowing that I'm the opposite of the smartest guy in the room kind of just, you know, made me want to strive to do better and be better. And, you know, I think the group that I found is is a group that I definitely want to be a part of and grow with. But with that being said, we were having a conversation surrounding 
surrounding an attribute that we discovered that we all had. And that attribute was being big givers. And it's funny because on this show, we talk a lot about how it's so important to give. And I'm truly a believer that, you know, the secret to living is giving. And the more you can give, the more you'll be fulfilled in your life. And, you know, kind of going on with that mantra, I always make sure that I'm trying to give as much as, as I'm trying to give out way more value than I'm getting. With that being said, the other day I was at discount tires trying to get new tires on my car and there was a lot of people there. It was almost closing time and there were enough people in the building to the point where I had to stand and wait on my car, wait on them to get me new tires. So the manager comes out and he's like, hey, I can pull out a seat from the back so you can sit and call it pride or call it you know, just not wanting to worry him or not wanting to take, not wanting him to take time out of his day to get that chair or put the effort in to get that chair for me. I told him not to worry about it. And, you know, in my eyes, I was doing something positive and I, you know, I kind of was like, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I'm good. Like, because it was really no problem. I didn't mind standing. But when I had the conversation with, with, you know, we can call it my mastermind, You know, we were talking about how we were all cheerful givers, but there was another important aspect that many of us forget sometimes. And that aspect was the power of receiving. And the reason I think receiving is so important is that, you know, it's not always about how much you can exert and how much you can give and how much you can bless others through your giving, but Others are also blessed by their giving, and it's also a form of exchange on their end to show their appreciation or show their kindness or, you know, just show that they care. And when you deprive somebody of that, it's almost like stealing away their blessing by telling somebody, oh, no, I'm fine or, oh, no, I'm okay. I don't need any water when somebody offers things like that. So just to kind of put things in perspective, I kind of felt bad. I, it kind of felt bad when I, when I was in my meeting. I was like, man, like, you know, when people try to do nice things for you, it's often easy to say, hey, I'm okay or no, I'm good. You know, I'm fine because you think that you don't, you don't want to bother them or you don't want to worry them or you don't want them to do something out of their norm. And it's really not okay. It's better to receive and it's better to allow people to give you an exchange of their appreciation. And it's something that we have to be more cognizant of. It's something that I have to be more cognizant of and knowing that, you know, receiving is is just as important as giving. And, And I just wanted to share that with you guys as the listeners, because I know that we're often, we're often always looking to give and always looking to help each other and and, and raise each other higher. But at the same time, another way to do that is by receiving and by letting people show their appreciation and by letting people, letting people be blessed by giving because you're also looking to give and you're also in the position in which you want to bless others. And, you know, it's just one of those, one of those things to where we have to be more cognizant of, of what we're actually doing and what that actually means. So just wanted to touch on that really quick. But but yeah, as much as we are cheerful givers, let's let's also try to be cheerful receivers so that we're not blocking somebody else's blessings. Just a word for the wise. Moving on. If you haven't already picked up my free ebook, please go pick that up at beforethemains.com slash book or just email info at beforethemains.com with the subject get paid to live for free. I think it's a great starter book, just a great little 
you know, stepping stone to try to help us eliminate two of our biggest expenses, not eliminate, then decrease two of our biggest expenses, which is our living expense and taxes through house hacking. So it's a nice little little way to get started building your snowball. If you're looking to start building and creating wealth and you don't know where to start, there are many different methods and there are many different I guess, kind of models that we follow and that we try to implement on the show, but it's just one of many. And I think that it's a great one, especially if you're young and you're able to be flexible. So yeah, go pick that up. You could also pick it up on the resources page, which is found at beforethemillions.com slash resources. There are tons of resources on that page. I definitely recommend you check out all the resources on that page from recommended books to recommended sites. We have it all, things that we've talked about on the show, things that we recommend from prior experiences. So go check out our resources page. With that being said, I think that we are ready to get into the show. Let's go get them. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Hey, everybody. Today, I'd like to welcome MC Lobster to the show. Hey, MC, how's it going? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No problem. MC, I'm excited. I'm ecstatic. This show is going to be amazing. Hopefully, I'm not pumping up the show a little too much to kind of set expectations high, but I know, I know that regardless of how, how high we set expectations, this show is going to be amazing. So, yeah, so it's a pleasure to have you. MC is a wealth strategist, an educator, a financial freedom fighter, which I love. He's the president and CEO of Valhalla Wealth Financial and he's the creator and host of the popular business and investing podcast, Cashflow Ninja. His mission is to help as many people eliminate the control that banks and financial institutions have over their lives by building their wealth in a variety of ways and asset classes outside of Wall Street. He believes that the best way to achieve this in the information age is by reclaiming the banking function in your own financial life through structuring efficient cash flow management systems and creating and building assets that provide multiple streams of income. I believe that as well, MC. MC challenges existing societal belief systems and misinformation around concepts such as money, savings, investing, wealth, and retirement. Now, MC, I know that. <laughs> I know that we're we're going to dive into a lot of that stuff and I know that you're going to challenge the thinking of our listeners MC but really quick let's give some context on your background and your upbringing how you how you you know how you came about this to begin with let's maybe take it back to 18 year old MC and you know just give some background on, on your life and, and and we'll work our way up from there yeah, great. So I was born in South Africa, born and raised, and grew up in a very, very interesting time in the, the country's history, which definitely, you know, impacted the way that I see see the world. Obviously, 
when I grew up there in 1991, Nelson Mandela was released from prison. In 1994, he became the first democratically elected president of South Africa. So it was quite an interesting time in the country's history. And a lot of things was going on. So for a young MC, as you mentioned at that stage, seeing all these things happening, it definitely formed the way that I see it and, and the way that we're plugged into a little bit of a matrix and <laughs> that really we have to go out there and find the truth and, and seek the truth and challenge our challenge everything, you know, and question everything and do our own research and critically think for ourselves to get to the bottom of, of what's really going on. And I've kind of taken that with me on my journey through the rest of my life, always questioning what what I see <laughs> and asking why are things the way that they that they are. And I would say after university in South Africa, I traveled a little bit. I ended up in the United States. I played in a sport league at that stage, a national rugby league, and played representative rugby up until 2007. But from a professional standpoint, the first year out of university, I bought my first investment property after I came across a little purple book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then really invested in my own education studying real estate went to, to buy that first investment property. And that's kind of where I started my journey as an investor. While I was also playing in, in the sports league, being really, really excited and passionate about real estate, I actually crossed paths with a couple of folks in real estate one, a very private, wealthy real estate investor that owned a lot of multifamily unit buildings. And I started working for that company while I was pursuing this career in sports, learning the business from the ground up, started doing everything from maintenance and turning over apartments and painting to basically leasing, signing leases, negotiating leases, doing marketing for the properties, trying to screen the tenants that were coming in. And then also from a property management standpoint, doing everything from the books on the, the properties, rent collections, dealing with lawyers and so forth. So till eventually getting my broker's license and being part of an acquisition team. So I really learned the business from the ground up, seeing how the properties function, how they operate, what value adds there are. And then also from a buying and selling what they bought, what they sold, what they held on to, learning that side of the business. So as you know, it, you know, you've got to look for certain things when you, when you buy and invest in real estate. And then there's also certain things that you, that you look for to do to properties when, when they sell it. So a very, very educational experience. And I think one of the things that I learned there was, you know, you saw that there was a blueprint out there. And many people operate and do the same thing over and over again, not getting a lot of results. And then there's really a small group of people that do things not really different from the rest of the people, but the complete opposite that are having a lot of success and following a completely different blueprint and playing by a different set of rules. So it became my mission to figure out all these different rules and this blueprint that, that people live by and follow that are successful. Turning that into the financial side, you know, I came across an investing strategy that involves pairing investments as such as real estate with financial products. And I was just kind of blown away when that happened. So that became a passion of mine, studying that, looking at that. And eventually 
leading to what I'm doing right now with all wealth financial, where we do help our clients build their wealth outside of Wall Street, utilizing the same strategies that I've learned from very, very wealthy investors and very wealthy families out there. And then, as you mentioned, I've also got my podcast, The Cashflow Ninja, where we focus on creating income streams and cash flow. And I've guests on there sharing everything from how to cash flow, create income streams from real estate, businesses, online businesses, gold and silver, you know, coffee farms, offshore, you know, digital assets and so forth. So uh, it's been quite a ride so far. That's amazing, MC. And there's there's so many pivotal points that I want to break down in your story. And one of, one of which is the very first one when you first turned turned your attention to, I guess the the system that we're in, and you realized that it wasn't something that you necessarily wanted to be a part of. And how did you come about that? You said you picked up that famous little purple book. What made you pick that up? And and kind of what was your what was your outlook at that time and what were you doing to to want to i guess learn more and explore more yeah i think at that stage i you know i had the mindset still of looking at going to school getting good degrees work hard climb the corporate ladder and that's kind of what you saw out of successful people out there i think this was also before there was a lot of information on entrepreneurship and really a lot of valuable content out on the on the internet around it and and books yes it was around but it wasn't as as in the media as it is now or you know in the alternative media and the new media as i call it um but i would say that was kind of my mindset. I knew that there was a different way. And then my mom actually gave me the Rich Dad Poor Dad book to read, which started my journey down that. And then the second book, I think I really started jumping in to realize how things really worked was a book called The Creature from Jekyll Island by Mr. G. Edward Griffin, which really explained what money is, where money came from, and how the global monetary system works. And that just blew me away. So I started re doing a lot of research on that because I just found it fascinating that, you know, everything in life, you know, we kind of use money on a daily basis. You know, people climb in their cars and drive an hour and a half, two hours commute to work. They sit in a cubicle for eight to nine hours. They get in the car again and drive again an hour and a half and two hours for money. But nobody really questions, well, what is it? <laughs> and what truly is money? And how does it work? I know I have to pay my bills with this, right? But where does it come from? How does it work? And how does it flow through the, the global economy? So I think that once I started going down that route, I really started seeing the world differently, started to look at money differently, started to look at markets differently. So it was a huge paradigm shift for me, for me personally. And then that leads into challenging other concepts because, you know, if, if you look at the concept of what money is and really break it down and you, you kind of discover that you look at everything you'd mention a, a savings and so forth. So, but I think that was a critical moment in the way that how I view things. That's lovely. So you had that first aha moment with, with that 
one particular situation. And then it sounds like you had a second aha moment with the, the creature from Jekyll Island, which, you know, is a highly recommended book by many guests on the show. And you had that second aha moment. And is that when you started, started kind of dabbling into pairing real estate with other vehicles or, or what, what were your steps after, after kind of that second, that second coming, that second aha moment? Yeah. So I think then I saw that, you know, once I realized what, what money is, I started looking at what savings is, how the markets work, what, what we're being told, what we're not being told. You know, to quote Robert Kiyosaki, I did mention Rich Dad Poor Dad, there's always three sides of a coin, right? There's heads, tails, and the edge. You have to know all three sides to understand how things really truly work and yeah, to really understand what the deal or the topic or the concept. So I think after that, I kind of looked at that. I looked at certain strategies that some of these wealthy individuals were implementing and executing. And that's kind of when I started doing it on a smaller scale. And that's what I usually say to a lot of my clients that, look, you don't have to be David Rockefeller or you know, the Rothschilds or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett to, to implement certain strategies. You can start small and that can make huge differences in, in your own life. So, and that's what I, that's what I started. I started small I started implementing and executing some of these strategies. I saw what a massive difference it started to make within my own life. And now I have the, you know, the, the fortune, the fortunate position of helping and educating others of what I do and teach that and help them implement and execute that within their own life. I love that. I love that. Let's maybe talk about, you know, more specifically some, some of those strategies and, and how you implemented them at such a, a young age. And, and maybe we can even, even later on down, down the line, talk about how those strategies have changed in your life. But let's talk about, you know, some of those strategies that you first implemented that kind of got the gears going for you. Yeah. So I would say the first strategy that, that I would, would come across would be that, you know, the difference between the wealthiest individuals and families and corporations and banking institutions and then just the middle class and the poor is that the wealthiest, wealthiest families and individuals don't necessarily have their money in mutual funds and in the market. So they warehouse a lot of their wealth and insurance products and then also leverage then the money that they have in those products to invest in real estate, which kind of blew me away. But when, when you really started to study real estate and insurance, certain insurance products and saw that that was two vehicles that they utilized to implement and execute these strategies, it kind of really made all sense because of a lot of different things that your money is doing at the same time. I mean, just in real estate, you talk about it, it cash flow, you know, and, and that's what insurance, certain insurance products have as well. From the cash flow side, you build up equity, there's appreciation, there's extremely favorable tax advantages in that as well and, and treatment. And then there's also, these are also vehicles that you can quote unquote capture your wealth in and roll it into another vehicle. To give you an example, in real estate, for instance, you can buy a property, you can you know, implement and execute a turnaround plan, kind of stabilize the property, raise the rent to market rates and so forth, and then refinance the property 
and the value that you created enhanced the value of the property. And then you can basically take equity out of that property and roll it into a next property. So you've quote unquote captured wealth inside of those properties. You can do the same thing with certain insurance products as well with a slight little different twist. The other thing that these two vehicles have as well, they're kind of legacy vehicles, which can be passed down certain ways to the next generation and families. You know, we've, we've probably all seen or heard of families that have had a real estate portfolio or real estate properties in their family for years. And insurance products is also a very good way of passing down and creating a legacy for your family. So a family that comes to mind, for instance, is the Rockefellers, which has the family office model in the United States. So they they use a lot of insurance products in that. So for myself personally, there's a strategy called the infinite banking concept. It utilizes actually dividend paying whole life insurance with mutual insurance companies, but it's structured a different way than a lot of other insurance and mutual, I mean, dividend paying whole life insurance products out there. This is not vehicles that structured like the PNC, the property and casualty insurance company structure them and so forth. So very, very differently structured, has the the benefits of putting your money in there, having it grow safe, predictable and guaranteed. Also accessing dividends, which is not guaranteed, but these companies have paid them out for over 100 years consecutively. And the growth inside there is tax free. But you can also then leverage the money that's in there through a policy loan and invest in real estate and then have them redirect the cash flows back to pay off your policy loan. So that's kind of where the concept comes from as the infinite banking concept. So that's something that I implemented on a very small level within my own life to see immediate effects and the impact right away. That's amazing. And I actually just started looking into dividend paying whole life insurance. So how would one go about getting that set up if, we, if a listener was looking to to kind of get into that and, and kind of, I guess, do more due diligence and research on that? Yeah, there's a book, Becoming Your Own Banker by Mr. Nelson Nash, which is a, a fabulous read on the concept. You know, Mr. Nash has said many times that you know, every person should be in two businesses, the business that they're in and how they make their money and the banking business. And what he was saying wasn't necessarily that you should go out and start your bank, your own bank. But what he was saying is that you should reclaim the banking function within your own life and start to think like a bank, act like a bank and execute like a bank, some of the banking principles. So that's a that's a really good place to start. If any of your listeners are interested, they can reach out to me and I can I can get them a copy of that book. And then I also put a ton of information on this concept. There's about an hour webinar that they can look at. It's at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank, where I take them through the whole process of how this is put together, how this is structured, how this works, the benefits. Yeah. And how they can use this to leverage to invest in other assets. So I would definitely start with that. And then I would also research, do my research online, look at mutual insurance companies. There's a lot of differences between a mutual insurance company than, for instance, a stock company or I mentioned a PNC company, a property and casualty. And that should be very, very interesting reading. I think it's for me, it was fascinating to just see exactly what the wealthy do with their money. A good example, for instance, you know, Jeffrey Emmel just left GE, 
one of the CEOs. And this is, this is one thing that you keep seeing over and over. Now, these guys didn't max out their 401ks. <laughs> so, you know, you see that they're retiring with millions of dollars and the package that they have. And it's all structured with different insurance strategies and products that they have. You know, if you do your research and you look at what Janet Yellen's doing, Ben Bernanke, the Federal Reserve chairman and, and so forth, then you start to see a pattern and a blueprint of what they do with their money, what banks do with their money, what corporations do with their money, and so forth. So once I started looking into that and researching, it's it's quite fascinating. And then you realize when you look at the way that the insurance businesses are structured and the, the insurance industry itself operates and functions and the products work and some of the, their benefits and guarantees, it makes sense why some of the wealthiest families utilize that vehicle as well as a vehicle of real estate to to build the, and warehouse their wealth. I love that. And MC, we're going to continue along your journey and get into your story a little bit more, but I like kind of like where we're going with this. And I think we should maybe take one or two steps back and kind of kind of just before even reclaiming, you know, our, our banking, what let's talk about, you know, maybe the, the step before that, knowing to reclaim that function in our lives and knowing, you know, being able to knock down some of these common misconceptions. I love the way you look at things. You you have this cash flow versus accumulation model. Can we kind of talk about that model and what it means to, to have cash flow versus accumulation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is a very, very big topic that's out there and a concept which, if it's not truly comprehended and understood, it could have devastating effects. And there's a lot of people experiencing that right now. So I usually use the example of saying that that the cash flow accumulation model is basically having that goose, feeding that goose, keeping that goose healthy for 30 to 35 years. And when 35 years is over, we're going to slaughter that goose and eat that goose. Well, then the goose is gone, right? Where the cash flow model looks at the goose, keeps the goose nice and healthy and lives off the eggs. And we have many geese. <laughs> we just don't have one, uh, one goose. So it's the whole thing about having income streams to fund your lifestyle and then saving, 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 handing our money over to you know, a financial professional for 30 to 35 years and hoping by the time that you need it that they're going to give you back a mountain of money for you to live on and then live the final and the golden years of your life out. The so problem with – really, yeah, really, sorry, re go ahead. Re really quick. So where your stance is is the cash flow model – is you have many geese and each of these geese produce eggs and these eggs are kind of what you live off of because they're producing them constantly. It's recurring and it's in your life. It's it's happening in real time. Whereas the accumulation model, which, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but is what most of us is the model that most of us follow because we are accumulating, you know, wealth in a specific in a specific vehicle, maybe it's 10% of what we're making and we're accumulating that over the next 20, 30, 40 years. This is the example of that one goose and we're expecting to be able to slaughter that goose at the, at the end of the cycle per se and us be able to live off of that for our retirement. So I just kind of want to put some context to things. Is that, is that kind of where you're going with that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that ties back into what just what we discussed previously of knowing what money is. If you know what that is, what money truly is, money has to keep moving and circulating. And that's what financial institutions do in the wealthiest families. Financial, you know, the business model of financial institutions, the, the one side of the coin is they want your money. They want it on a regular basis and they get it every every other week through withdrawals from from your paycheck before you receive it. So and of course, on that, your taxes, too. So the government and Wall Street gets paid before you do for the majority of us. Then they hang on to the money as long as they possibly can. And when they need to give it back to you, they try to give it as back as slowly as possible and give back to you as little as possible. That's kind of what their model is on the one side. Inside is a completely different ballgame. They try and turn their money, the money that they've collected, over and over and over as quickly as possible and leverage that money. So they know that the money needs to keep moving. So for the majority of people, they try to park their money in 401ks and qualified plans, which, by the way, that system's just been around since the ni- 1981 is when Ted Benner kind of created the first 401k. It's an unproven system. You know, never before as a generation just retired of 401ks and qualified retirement plans. There's a multiple of assets that, that other generations used for that. Pensions being one of them, and that's a complete disaster right now With if you just look at what's going on in Illinois, and there's more states to follow in this pension crisis. So, yeah, to tie back into that, the other way of doing this is, you know, Robert Kiyosaki said, you know, if you wanted to measure your true wealth, how long can you live when you stop working today? And what he was referring to is the the income streams, the cash flow, the monthly cash flow that you're getting from your assets and your businesses. And that's really what true wealth then is, because that does a lot of different things for you. First of all, the money's coming in every every month, regardless, you know, of your activity that month. The second thing is, you know, inflation. Inflation is is a huge wealth destroyer, just as as like taxes. A lot of income streams, for instance, in real estate, you know, that's a very, very good inflation hedge because rents can be raised up with inflation. So that's one thing. So the 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 cash flow model, I would say, is something that we're looking at and we're teaching. And I'm having a lot of cash flow ninjas on on my show as well, teaching different ways to do that, because that I mean, that's truly in the end the model I think. I believe and I know that's going to be the the model that's that's remained and and that's actually successful and helping people. The accumulation model for many different reasons, I think in the next 10 years to 15 years, I think is is going to fall to the wayside. People are going to start living longer. There's incredible medical advancements and technologies that are out there. And I think this model is going to fail a lot of people. It only works, for instance, right now, the stock markets are at all-time highs. This model also only works when the market's going up, right? Now, a professional investor in their investing plan, they have a plan that works in markets that go up, down, and sideways because markets only do three things, right? (laughs) We don't know when they're going to do that, but we know that they're either going to go up, they're either going to go down, or they're going to go sideways. So professional investors really have a, a wealth plan that accommodates all three of those movements where a lot of this cash flow accumulation approach and model, which is then based on, you know, the qualified retirement plans only works when it goes up. I love that. So listeners, are you following the cash flow model 
or are you following the accumulation model? And, you know, speaking to what MC is saying, you know, in in about 10 to 15 years, a lot of us are going to be in trouble. I think, you know, Social Security in itself, you know, is is projected to go out of business pretty pretty soon. Am I right, MC? <laughs> 2034, I believe, is rounded by their own records. They said that they will no longer to be able to to meet their obligations. Wow. And it's crazy. So it's almost crazy to think about what's going to happen at that time. I think we're told that, you know, save up for retirement. And, you know, once we retire, we'll have enough money to retire. And oftentimes, MC, I find that this is not the case. And I'm sure you can attest to that as well with the clients that you have. But it's it's not it's not a working model. I haven't seen many people actually truly become successful off that model. And I, I see a lot of flaws in that model. And just kind of speaking to the banking systems, MC, you know, it's one of those things to where it seems like they're teaching us something totally opposite of what they're doing themselves. You know, they're turning over our money constantly. Like you just said, they're turning over our money rapidly, quickly, and we're doing the exact exact opposite. MC, do you agree with that statement? Absolutely. We're parking our money in banks and financial institutions, and then they take that money, leverage it, if you utilize the banking system, for instance, through fractional reserve banking, you can leverage that, that money up to you know 10 times or more, depending on what size bank you are, and then lending it out on the other side to uh, get more cash flow coming in. So they're turning money over and over and over while we're parking it. And I think it ties in. And you mentioned, you know, I could probably see that with a lot of my clients. And I do. You know, I have people that I do consult with and they've done all of the right things. They've done all the things that they were told for the last 20 to 30 years. You know, they went to school, they got a good good job. They got a master's degree. They went to go work. They worked their way up the corporate ladder. They maxed out their 401k. They bought their own home. They paid off their mortgage. They did all the right things. And at the end of their life, they're looking back right now and retirement becomes less and less of a reality for them. And they, you know, they look at it and they say, I don't understand. We've done all the right things. Why aren't we able to do what we thought that we were going to be able to do? And then on the other side, I can see firsthand from other clients that, you know, they follow the the, the cash flow model. You know, a good example is, you know, Mr. A client A, you know, owned his own business. And then when he sold his business, he worked out a seller finance deal where he gets monthly cash flow for the next 10 to 15 years just from his business. He owns the property that the business is in. Now he's getting an income stream from rent from that, from the business that he sold. So he's getting two income streams just from the one business that he sold. And then he has a portfolio of rental properties and so forth and other cash flowing assets. That client is going to be really living out the golden years as advertised, you know, with people walking next to the beach on all of these ads and, and that kind of stuff. That's amazing. And I think we can we can go on about this for, for days because it's it's a topic near and dear to my heart. But let, let, let's get back into your story, MC, and kind of figure out how you built your company and why this is your mission. So so you bought you bought your first couple. I don't know if they were single family homes. What, what were your real estate investments back then? Yeah, it started with a single family and now have, yeah, different different interest in 
a multifamily and still in single family. But I think from a business standpoint, what I'm trying to do right now too is trying to build a virtual organization that is location independent to be able to provide value and serve people from wherever I find myself in the world. So that was the goal that I set out to do. You know, a lot of a lot of wealth management and financial companies, you know, they, they have big office buildings, very expensive furniture, very expensive boardrooms and so forth. And I looked at it and kind of said that that model is, you know, it's almost like a bank. Banks are going to go away, by the way, too. Not banks, banks, you know, but the banking buildings <laughs> that they find themselves in. Because if you really think about it, I mean, why do you still need to go in, into a bank? But back on to, to from the financials point of view is I felt the same way about, you know, these fancy, very expensive buildings as well and try to build a company that's location independent, that can provide value and serve as many people from, from anywhere in the world and provide the same level and personalized service that the old model would be through, through consulting virtually with people and with clients. I love that. I think that that's the best model to move towards in, in this day and age. You know, we're in the information age and, you know, this is there's no better time to go online. There's no better time to go virtual. And that's why most of the guests I bring on the show are investors or they're online business owners, because I think that those two tandems, those two paths, you can't go wrong. But kind of speaking to your business, so you decided to get into financial services. Why, why did you decide to do that? I mean, you are already an investor. And I think that earlier on you were pursuing your your sports career and, you know, investing on the side. When and why did that dynamic change? Because you are already an investor. Yeah. So I think when you look at the cash flow quadrant from Robert Kiyosaki, you know, you have the E and the S on the left hand side, the employee and then the self-employed and then the B and the I on the other side. And I think, you know. It also doesn't necessarily, you know, matter how much money you make. You know, we all have heard the saying, it doesn't matter how much money you make, but how much money you keep and how much, how hard that money's working for you. But it also depends on from what quadrant you're making that money from. Because if you make, say, for instance, $10,000 as an investor, that is completely different than making $10,000 as an employee with all of the tax ramifications and so forth. So... That $10,000 is not equal, $10,000. So I think when I found myself in the eye as an investor, I'm also trying to find and build something that's in the B on that right-hand side. So I think, you know, and I'm very purpose-driven and mission-driven. So I, I was very, very passionate about helping other people and educating them and to implement and execute the same things that I'm doing within my own life. So that's why the, the mission started for this. And I wanted to reach as many people as I, as I could. And, you know, with, with podcasting, we have the ability to do that. We live in an amazing time where someone anywhere in the world has the ability to download or listen to a podcast or watch a video on YouTube. So that was a big part of, of why I did that. And then also trying to craft another area in this in this cash flow quadrant out for myself. Yep. How long did it take you to get it up and running? Boy, you know, I say this is a, this has been about three years to get it to the to the level where I'm at right now. But you know, everybody becomes an overnight success in about twenty years, right? Of course. <laughs> what would you What would you say is your biggest challenge in in starting and running your own business? 
I would say from, you know, there's a lot day to day, you know, and there still is every day. There's, there's challenges that you face. But I think the biggest one is to, is to master, I think Blair Singer, Singer calls it that little voice. Because that's that's the biggest thing, you know. You usually ask people, and I do on my show too, about you know when they took an entrepreneurial leap or something like that. If they're still fearful, if there's still fear, it never goes away, and it's a way of how you manage that that fear. And you can either use it to motivate you and to inspire you, or that could actually really turn against you and be yeah become a become a problem. So I think. That was the biggest thing. You've heard a lot of people probably say that they have to master themselves. And I think I think that that's it, Duray. I think that the most important piece of real estate in the world is that little piece of real estate in between your ears. And I think once you master or try to master that, because it's a daily thing, right? Or even an hourly thing, I would rather use the word control that and manage that. But once you once you're able to do that, control it in such a manner that it that it inspires you that I think is then you can go on to the next level and the next level so I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I found personally so you're going on three years or you're you're a little over three years and in your business and when did you start podcasting was it was it at, at inception or did this kind of come a little bit later on my podcast is about I think I started it well not I think it was April of 2017. Well, actually 2016. So it's okay. over. Okay. It's, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. April in 2016. So it's over, it's over a year. So, and the podcast came from what I was listening to a lot of my clients of wanting to learn more about how to invest in real estate and other paper assets and gold and silver and commodities and, and digital assets. So I kind of played around with that idea and said, well, you know, I'm not the one necessarily that can educate and teach them a lot of the things around those asset classes and vehicles, but I can bring people onto a podcast that are cash flow ninjas in that specific niche. I've done that for about a year. We're running up close now to uh, recorded close to 200 episodes of it, and it's it's been fantastic, a fantastic experience to be able to learn from the people that I bring on my show as well. That's amazing, MC. Congratulations again on on all your success. But let's talk about let's talk about you know I've had a previous guest on the show talk about the idea of thought leadership platforms and what that means to your main business. But you specifically, MC, how has this thought leadership platform or this podcast contributed to your main business? Yeah, that's a very very good question. It certainly has because I think you can reach more people and get your message out with that platform. And yeah, I mean, it takes a little while as well, but I think it's definitely I've definitely seen an impact in my business from it and it's it's been a fantastic way of connecting with with like-minded people out there that are on a, on a similar path. So I've definitely seen an impact of it. It's definitely had a, a very, very, very good effect on it. And it's been a it's been a pretty, pretty good experience. That's amazing. And I know that you've interviewed the likes of Robert Kiyosaki and John Lee Dumas and plenty others. So I definitely recommend your podcast to to our listeners here. Um, so I guess kind of rounding out the segment on 
your life and your journey, your business, what would you say? Give us an example of a time in which you had to overcome a certain failure or you were in a situation and you had to figure out a way out of it as it pertains to your business. I think that ties into, you know, also the previous question that you asked about the the platform that my podcast as a whole has provided for my own business, because I think a lesson that I learned too is in the way that people do business, it's changing every single day almost. But I think that a lesson that I learned too is that, you know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about that, you know, we're all digital publishing companies right now before we're in the business that we're in. If you're a shoe company, you're a publishing company, a digital publishing company first before you're in that shoe company. So you have to try and put out content about shoes and about what types of shoes to use for certain, what you know, whatever activities, running shoes, hiking shoes, and so forth. Once you put out a lot of good, solid content that people enjoy and find valuable, I think that's when you're going to start to see changes in, in your business. And that was the one thing that I, you know, I didn't quite get that when I started. You know, I blogged a little bit. I tried a couple of YouTube videos. But once you start to put out content on all types of different platforms, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a video, whether it's a blog, and do that consistently and consistently provide value for others, that's really when you're going to start to to see massive changes. So I think that was one of the mistakes that I made in the beginning. I just started kind of sort of blogging a little bit and writing some of those ideas where there are many other platforms I think that people neglect and don't utilize to reach as many people as they can. So I think that was a big, big aha moment for me. I love that. I love that. That's a, that's a major takeaway for our listeners. And I think that's key. So actually, I, I do have one more question just on the opposite end of that spectrum, because I do know you work with, you know, you work with your clients and, you know, your your overall goal is to help your clients achieve their, whatever their financial goal is, whatever their financial picture is. So maybe, maybe, you know, let's pull something out of your goodie bag and something that you don't mind sharing with us as far as a success story of a client that you've helped. And let's kind of walk through that really quick. I think a very good one would be, you know, that some of your listeners might be able to relate with and relate to is a student loan debt. And what I had was a client with a significant amount of student loan debt but he also wanted to start his own business. He was, he was employed and he also, so he wanted to pay off his student loan debt. He wanted to have capital to start his business. And he also eventually down the line wanted to have some capital to invest into real estate. So we sat down, we looked at a plan for him. One of the things that we came up with is we structured his plan in such a way and looked at all of his cash flow leaks, which there's many, if you just go through where all, you know, sit down, basically break down where all your money's going every month, what money's coming in and try to find a couple of cash flow leaks, which you can, when you walk through, work through all of the line items, we did that for him. We plugged some of those cash flow leaks. We created a, a spending plan for him, which included all of the money that's going out you know, on a monthly basis, and then also putting money away in a vehicle, as we've spoken about, the dividend-paying whole life insurance policy. So we did that, and because it's predictable, because there's a lot of guarantees 
and a lot of certainty. We knew that in the next eight years, for instance, there's going to be enough money in there for him to pay off his student loans. So now, instead of maxing and overpaying the student loans, we're just paying the minimum every single month on the student loans. And we're redirecting that cash into a vehicle that's actually growing for us in, quote unquote, our own system. So we know within eight years, he's going to have enough to pay off that student loan debt. Well, as he's saving that and making the minimum payment on that student loans, saving that money in that vehicle, he can access that that cash value at any time during that eight years and paying himself back. So from year one through the rest, he can access money to then expand his business because we went through the discussion and you know every single time he invests in his business whether it's equipment or whatever he was was utilizing he actually increased his own cash flow of the side business that he was growing so every single time he went to go take a policy loan from that from his cash value and invested in his business he made more money and he could pay that policy loan back and now he's grown his business so he's going to keep doing that and he's been doing that now over the last year investing in his own business and then paying it back. So he's going to do that. And by year eight, he's going to make sure that all the policy loans are done. He's going to wipe out his student loan debt and then redirect the cash flows from the money that he was paying towards the student loans to pay the policy loan back with the increased cash flow from his business. That's going to have more money available too in that policy firm to start looking at real estate opportunities. So I think what it is, is it's, you know, is the key takeaway here too, is you have to try and find as many uses for every single dollar in your personal economy. So that dollar right now is in a savings vehicle for him growing tax free. It also provides a death benefit. And then it also provides the opportunity to be borrowed and invest, you know, invest in himself and his business to grow and scale that. And then you know, from a psychological standpoint, he he knows that his student loan debt's going to be paid off, and he's going to pay himself back in his own system with money that he used to pay to his student loans, as well as the increased cash flow from his business. So, in like ten to fifteen years, if he looks back, you know, he's going to pay off his student loans, he's going to build a business, and he's going to have some money available for real estate opportunities. And I think a very another big takeaway here is, you know, you have to try and find a way to purchase things more effectively because you can buy cash for something. Well, now the cash is gone and you have the item, right? Or you can just borrow the money. Well, now you're just paying someone else back. There's a different way way of structuring and managing cash flow management systems effectively, which allows you to purchase a, an asset and also still have the money and have both for you at, at the same time. MC, this breakdown of this success story was amazing. Oh my goodness. I hope listeners, I hope you, you took a lot away from that conversation. Just using that one single dollar to rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You've literally used that dollar five or six times and a lot of us don't do that or don't have the know-how to do that. And I think that's, that's brilliant. That's a, that's an amazing success story. And, you know, there's a lot to take away from that. So I, th- I thank you for sharing that. Before we kind of moved on to the next segment, is there anything you wanted to kind of leave our listeners on or leave our listeners with? 
Yes, I would say that, as we've touched on, have that same $1 and that same dollar do as many different things for you as possible. And the other thing is be very aware and cognizant of wealth destroyers. Some of the wealthiest families out there, they really, really know how to position their assets to protect against these wealth destroyers, which is, as we've mentioned, taxes, the biggest one. Inflation is a huge one. And then we also have, you know, fees and costs and so forth. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit JoeFearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I know I've mentioned The Creature of Jekyll Island by Mr. G. Edward Griffin, but I would also really recommend The 10X by Grant Cardone. Both of those are great books. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I think it's, you know, it's learning how to say no because your time is your most valuable asset. So you have to know how to invest it wisely and especially for focus. So you have to turn down a lot of things to be able to focus and make in that way sacrifice to be able to get where you want. And was there any sacrifices in specifically for you that you had to say no to? No, I think it's just more, you know, more or less from a time management standpoint. And then, the, you know, there's a quote, if you want to live the, the life that not many other people do, you have to be able to do the things that not many other people are willing to do. So it's long, long hours. That's one thing that, you know, I think people that, that have been around me on this journey will be able to attest to. It's very, very long hours that you have to put in and a lot, lots of hard graph. You know, sometimes it'll, it'll only take you 20 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? Oh, I would definitely say my family has been very, very supportive. My parents have been very supportive. And especially in, in my businesses, my wife has just been my rock. So I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if any of this would have been impossible with, without her. So yeah, my family and my parents has been always been supportive and, and be there for me. So I would say that the support system around me is extremely strong. So I think that's one of the, the, the keys to the success that I have had. Love it. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? I think that there comes an analysis paralysis with a lot of people. So they overanalyze things that, you know, they, they invest in themselves. They take the education that they want, need to. They invest in courses. They keep investing in, the, in their education and keep reading on the subject matter. But then they usually fail to just take that first step and take that action because of the fear. And I think that's what holding a lot of people back. And I would just say that, listen, <laughs> you're going to make mistakes and it's not going to be rainbows and unicorns. So I think that's what holds them back is that fear of failure. But I think once you realize that 
it's going to happen regardless of whether you worry about it or not. The best is just, just to then to learn from it. So I think that that holds back a lot of people. Love it, MC. This has been great. This has been a pleasure to have you on the show. And I know your time is valuable. So we really, really appreciate it, MC. And this is the point where we get to kind of get all your links and figure out how best to get in contact with you, how to listen to your podcast, maybe people who are interested in using some of your services. Give us give us it all, MC. Where, how do How do we get in contact with you? Yeah, I think my main platform is CashflowNinja.com. You know, we we touched upon the webinar that I mentioned, the free webinar. If they're interested in some of the topics and concepts that I've discussed, they can access that at CashflowNinja.com forward slash be the bank. And then there's also for listeners out there that's interested in learning more about the infinite banking concept, they can reach out to me at info at CashflowNinja.com and I can send them out a copy of the book. My wealth management firm is ValhallaWealth.com. So Valhalla, like the Viking heaven. <laughs> There's a, a ton of resources on there. There's a ton of free education on there. There's links to podcasts. There's links to articles and so forth. So I try to put as much out there as, as I possibly can. So feel free to check it out if any of the topics and concepts that we covered is of interest to you. Sweet. Well, MC, again, thank you for being on the show. I know that I've gotten tons of value from the show and our listeners have as well. And this infinite banking concept, some of these, some of these whole life insurance, insurance policies, there's, there's so much to research, so much I personally have to look into. So I know that my listeners got a lot of value. I thank you again for being on the show, MC, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic experience and it's been great to connect. So thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Wow. Electrifying episode. Didn't I tell you? <laughs> well, it's about that time and I hate that we have to go, but we'll be back here bright and early next Tuesday. So, I mean, make sure you subscribe. Really quick, of course, I have to give a special shout out to the five-star review of the week, as I do every week. And we are almost at 100 reviews. That's amazing. So I just want to thank the BTM community and everybody out there who's left a five-star review. That's that's truly inspiring. And not only that, but we just hit 10,000 downloads and I couldn't be any happier. That's fantastic. I'm happy that this podcast is reaching so many people. We are being played in over 41 countries. 41. Like, just think about that. Like, if I was to name off some of these, some of these countries I've never even heard of, and we are being played in 41 countries. So, again, special thanks to all the listeners and everybody who's tuned in every single week. And those listeners who this is their first episode and they're about to go back and listen to every single episode since inception. You are my biggest motivators. But really quick, our five star review of the week comes from Todd Dexheimer. Todd says, Excellent podcast packed with great and useful information and knowledgeable guests. Thanks, Todd, for your five-star review. We appreciate the feedback and we'll continue to try to bring on knowledgeable guests in all these different areas of investing and mindset and entrepreneurship and financial literacy and goal setting and all things success. So if you're getting value from the show and you haven't yet left a five-star review, please make sure you do so. I have links in the newsletter. So if you haven't signed up to the newsletter, sign up to the newsletter. If you haven't joined our Facebook page or our Facebook group, rather, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash before the millions. 
and reach out to me. Let's have a conversation. Let's, you know, introduce yourself. I love meeting new people. I've good I love getting to know new people. And, you know, let me know what you think of the show. Let me know if there's any guests that you think should be on the show in the near future that kind of match the mission that we're trying to achieve. And I'll do my best to get them on. With that being said, I hope you have a great rest of the day and we'll catch you next week. Holla. Fruit salad. Yummy, yummy.